Okay, this morning I'm going to read some scriptures, and I'm going to read in, in Hebrews chapter 2. In verse 6 it says, But one in a certain place testified, was a witness, saying, What is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you visit him? Here, the apostles quoting through the Holy Spirit, Psalm the 8th chapter, especially those uh, first uh, four to six verses, but specifically eight verse four. Verse seven, it says, you made him a little lower than the angels, and that speaks of the humanity of Jesus Christ in, in the Virgin uh, Mary in Luke 1 verse 35. You made him a little lower than the angels, and really a little lower there means it's just for a time. He made him a little lower. You crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of your hands. Clearly, this is, is, is speaking about us, not just the material universe, of course, that Christ in his pre-incarnate state created, but this is speaking over each and every single one of us. Yeah. Notice that, that he is set over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection unto his feet. That's an interesting thing to consider, isn't it? That all things are under his feet. That means he rules and reigns over all. We see that in a beautiful way, brought out so beautifully in Ephesians, the first chapter, and by the time you get from verse 1, we see the faithful and all, if the faithful there in Ephesians 1, 1 are just those that are in Christ. It's not talking about their activity or their conduct. It's just talking about they've been placed in Christ and are considered faithful. And then that is worked out in the experience. But we see by the time you get to verse 23 of Ephesians 1, his feet are over everything and we're in him. It says, you have put all things in subjection, see that, under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, listen to what it says, he left nothing that is not put under him. Did, did we hear that? There is nothing, not a single thing, that is not put under his feet, that he doesn't have authority, rule, and reign over. Very interesting. He left nothing that is not put unto him. But now, but now, we see not yet all things put unto him. We will, though. We'll have all eternity to see that. But right, what is it right now? But right now, in verse 9, we see Jesus. Do we see him? as ruling and reigning over all? Do we see him as ourselves subject to him and to him alone? Do we see that? Is that our experience? Do we actually experience that we are under him who rules and reigns over all? But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. And where it says there for the suffering of death, it just says for a time for a time. And that's bringing out, in an eternal sense, the very value of time, the time that we have. For the suffering of death, for just a time, 
And in, out of that, in his humanity, he was crowned with glory and honor. That's his humanity. He always had it and always is that and always has that as a, a member of, uh, obviously, the Godhead, the Trinity. But he was crowned with glory and, and honor. Look at what it says, that he, by what? By the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That's potential for every single human being. For it became him for whom are all things. Notice that. It, it meant everything about him. <laughs> to put on humanity, to die, so that no human being would ever have to have that. Or us in him never have to have a moment separated from him. And as long as we are subjected to him, as long as we are, we'll never be without him and without him ruling and reigning over us. And that's what keeps the flesh out of us from ruling and reigning, even for a second. <laughs> but that he should take, but it became him, was everything about him, listen to this, for whom are all things. <laughs> what are the things that, are, that concern us? What are the things that would cause us to be distracted in Hebrews 12, 2 from him? For whom are all things. That's, again, going into Colossians 1, verse 16. It says, he created everything. They were created by him. Notice this. All things were created by him. Look what it says. And for him. That must mean that since he's our life in Colossians 3, verse 4, we're not living to ourselves. But when we lose sight of him, in comes separation, that death, and we start living for ourselves. We can see that clearly. Do you ever have one of those days when you just didn't feel good? You just didn't feel like doing what you knew was right to do, so you just didn't do it. That was a lot of fun, huh? Wasn't that a good time? Not for any of us. I've had those times. So have we all, haven't we? And we can smile about them now, but I don't think there was anything too smiley about them, was there? Was there? Well, it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. Why do we exist? It became him to put on his humanity and become the sin sacrifice, the Second Corinthians 5.21, for whom are all things. He didn't have to do that, did he? Right? And when we live apart from him, we don't have to do anything we don't want to do, do we? If we don't feel like it, we don't have to do it, do we? <laughs> oh, God. God forbid for, and for whom are all things. Notice that? For whom are all things. No wonder it says in Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. And he's going to give you proper desires. And you know what those proper desires will constantly bring you to? A place where you will roll all responsibility upon him to be responsible for you. And he'll bring it to pass. He'll bring it to pass. But he has to teach us patience and show us the desires that we have that aren't of him and the desires that are ours in him. <laughs> you know that? 
I don't know. It, it must mean that God knows us far better. And I'll tell you how he does, too. Because his son put on humanity. God never had to be subject to anything. He didn't have to go through anything. He's God and above everything. But to understand us, his son put on humanity. Boy. And not one second did he ever live for himself. Not one second, not a moment, not one single moment did he ever live for himself. And you know, when he's our life, guess what? We won't live unto ourselves either. We just won't. And in that will be freedom. You know, we've talked about having a free will. But that will's not free until we see, until we submit to him. For whom are all things... Right? And by whom are all things? How do we even know what desire is? What is right? Until we submit to him. Well, it was this. His desire was in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain, the leader of their salvation, complete through sufferings. For both he that sanctifies, that makes holy and sets apart, and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause... He is not ashamed. He's not ashamed to call him, to call you and I his brethren, his. There's no shame. And when we live in the life that Christ is in us, there'll never be any shame, there'll never be any guilt or any condemnation. Saying, I will declare your name and a name is given to us based upon the very character and nature that we are individually, that he's made us. I will declare your name unto all my brethren in the midst of the church, of which we are, by the way, will I sing praise unto you. He's saying this to God. So basically what he's saying is that the life that he is and his life that he gave us that becomes ours, he with us sings praises to the Father. Interesting. <laughs> and again, I will put my trust in him. You know, when we trust God, we don't lean onto our own desires. It's Proverbs 3, 5. And you can see that in Psalm 37, verse 4. And you can see it in Proverbs 13, verse 12. That's why hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, in other words, you know, we have to be patient. Because he has to teach us what aren't godly desires and what are. So again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God gave me. For as much then as the children are partakers of, of blood and flesh, he also himself took part of the same. And God would do that, right? I don't know, was he thinking of himself? For one second. Not one second. No, not even one second was he thinking of himself. Was everything about his life wasn't a plan for himself. <laughs> Interesting. So interesting. Hmm. Well, he also took part of the same, that through death he might destroy 
him that had the power of death. In other words, the power, of course, physical death, but of course, he took the power away from him that would cause us to be separated from God in our experience. Did you know that? Huh? You know what that teaches us? We don't have to sin. We choose to. <laughs> we choose to. You know what that's based upon when we sin? It's those lust patterns in 1 John 2, 16. Those things. And we think those are desires and that they're going to fulfill us. That's what we think. That's when we start accumulating things to ourselves and everything's about us. You know? And Plus, we can have fellowship. Plus, <laughs> plus we can have fellowship with him. So interesting. You know? To destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Have we been delivered from the power of death? Have we? Absolutely. Now, and through sin, right? We've been delivered from it. That's what we're, that's what even our confession is in First John one nine. If we confess our sins, right? We're confessing. Listen, yeah, we weren't living in the power, but we know what it is, and we're confessing it. We're confessing it. We're not living in it continually. We talked about it recently, and just you hear the same thing over and over again about responsibility and what we should do. And, and, you know, pretty soon it's like a broken record. You know, it's like, yeah, all right, yeah. <laughs> and we just kind of speed bump it, you know. And, you know, those little speed bumps we said were the things that we take so lightly. And we said this also, too. If you, if you take all the sins of every human being that ever received him and put them on Christ with all of that, that's pretty intense, isn't it? Yeah, one sin, one it's just as equal to those with God. Just one. Those are the things we speed bump. <laughs> and those are the things that cost him his life. And so we, we, we don't have to sin. We choose to. We choose to. That's why it's so, we need to come to him immediately. Yeah? And, and that's why obedience is so important to us. So that love covers us. And shows us right desires and keeps the wrong ones out for all of us. Well, that through death he might destroy him and had the power of death that is the devil. We've been delivered from the power of death from uh, death. And we've been delivered from the power of sin. Did you know that? We don't have to. That's first John two, one and two. We do not have to sin. We do not have to be disobedient. We choose to. Okay, but why do we teach? through the Bible that God teaches us through his word, why is, why is our love receiving his returned in obedience? Why is that? What makes sense to that? Because where does love reside? It's in the will. It's not an emotion. It's in the will. We choose to. So we can choose to sin and live in disobedience, or we can choose to obey you know how many times we go by our feelings? Well, I don't feel like doing it today. So you know what? I just want to be lonely today. <laughs> okay. I want to be all alone and pout with my feelings. Because they, they tell me who I am. And you know, I'm going to submit to how I feel so then I can live in disobedience. <sighs> how many have ever had those pouty seasons? Yeah, anybody ever had those before? 
Will we have the right to just feel like we want, do what we want? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's a good thing he doesn't leave us, huh? He's promised that. We may leave him experientially. Thank God we can't leave him positionally. Can you imagine if God was like us? Can you imagine if God treated us based upon how we feel? Well, based upon how we think. Oh, boy. There'd be a little bit of trouble. <laughs> no wonder Job said that in Job 5.7. Man is born unto trouble as those sparks fly upward. You know what those sparks are? Ugh, anger. Ugh. I don't like certain things. And if I don't feel like I don't like them, I don't have to submit to them. The sparks, they fly upward. <laughs> Do you know what the Bible says in Isaiah 50, uh, verse 10? And, and thank God for the light that we have. Instead of living by, in 50, verse 11, the sparks of our own disobedience. And think that's some kind of light. Wow. Interesting. We haven't been delivered from the presence of sin, but we certainly have been delivered from the power of sin. We do not have to sin. Why do we? Why do we continue to live in what we know he already paid for, but continue to live in it? Why? Because my will is mine. And if I want to attach my will to how I feel, then it's okay. I can do that. I have that right. No, you don't. And no, I don't. Did you know the cross crucified every right we thought we ever had in all reality? On the cross of Jesus Christ? Did you know that? The old nature's crucified, Romans 6, 1 through 6. It's crucified. Doesn't matter. It's, it's gone. Doesn't even exist. Seriously. It doesn't even exist at all. Now, and destroy him, the enemy, on the cross, right? If only the, the annihilationists would understand what truly death is. Is, as far as God concerns, Satan destroyed? Yeah, is he still alive and well? That's because death is never extinction. It always speaks of separation. And destroy him that had the power. What did he destroy? Him or his power? His power. That's right, his power. That is the devil. And deliver them who through what? Fear of death, fear of separation, fear. Boy, if I don't have this thing, if I don't do this thing as a Christian, if I don't have all these things, man, and I got to make sure, you know, I'm not going to live in present obedience because something might happen in the future. So instead of being obedient in the present, I'm going to plan for the future. And live in disobedient presently. <laughs> oh, God. Interesting. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to what? My will isn't submitted. What do I live in? And who am I in bondage to? For, for truly he took not on him the nature of angels. 
but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Did you notice what that says? Whose seed did he take on? Seed of Abraham. What was Abraham? An unbeliever or a believer? He was a believer. His righteousness was based upon Christ and everything that Christ and his person and the accomplishment of his work had performed. But that's who he took on. He didn't take on the seed of unbelievers. Did you know that? And to take on the seed of Abraham would mean there's the, the flesh in us, that body, that all those old lust patterns and all those lying faults, lust patterns and desires and passions that we have are all crucified. <laughs> Did you know that? They're all crucified. You know, those things that we go back to when we leave Christ experientially and want those things to fulfill us? Jeez, no wonder you're in what they call like a bad mood. What's a bad mood? Bad emotions. Where'd you get the bad emotions? Bad thoughts. Whose thoughts? God's? Are there any bad in God's thoughts? Oh, by the way, is there any bad in his desires? Is, does he satisfy us like no other can? And what do the lusts do? Keep us in insatiable bondage. How many Christians seriously are in bondage to their emotions because they've never been taught truth ever? Do you know it says in Hosea 4 verse 6, it, said my, it says there through the prophet Hosea, God is speaking to his chosen people, Israel, and he said they're destroyed through a lack of knowledge. It's not that they didn't have it, they didn't submit to it. They refused to submit to it. The word became in certain areas of their choice like a broken record. We don't have to hear that. Yeah, okay. Time is so very important because that's what God's given us to train us and to teach us how to reign for all eternity. What we do with our time. What we do with it is so critical. It is so very, very critical. And deliver them who through fear of death were, were all their lifetime subject unto what? Bondage. You know, you can, you can submit to the flesh and be in bondage, or you can submit to Christ and live in freedom. But you still have a free will. Choose. Which one is it? Which one is it? You know, and when you have a proper head, he will always bring Christ into the equation. You will always have him between each other, and you will have freedom. That's what you'll have when you have a proper head. Seriously. And when you have proper initiation, and it's always going to be Christ. It is. Because what is in competition with Christ in us and our experience? You know what it is? Especially with young people, I'm going to tell you right now. It is 1 John 2.15. Love not the world. Listen. Neither the things that are in the world. I'm going to tell you what's in competition with him. We're in Christ, right? Positioned there. What's my experience? It's going to be the things of Christ that, that, that the carnal nature and natural nature has nothing to do with and can't understand them in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. I'll tell you what, you know what makes a successful marriage is when you have Christ between you and everything. Now, there's going to be growth in that. But that's a, a successful marriage. It is. It's very successful in that way. 
Then the, then the wife responds to the initiation of the headship of Christ through the husband. She doesn't have to submit to another thing. Not that she reacts or rejects, okay? But Christ, listen, if there's proper headship, okay, that's what the wife is going to cling to, okay? But she has a choice too. Not that she dishonors the husband, but she definitely has a choice. In First Peter, the third chapter, we'll bring that out. That's talking about an, uh, a saved, for instance, an example is a woman that's born again marries a husband that's not. But can husbands that are born again function like they're not? Does the wife have to submit to that? Not for a second. Not even for a millisecond. Without reaction, and that teaches you how to do it. If you want to read First Peter, the third chapter, you can see how Christ will continue to be your head so that the things of the world won't be the things that you cling to. You can't have both. Neither can I. None of us can. He took on the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things, it was everything to him to be made like unto his brethren, boy, oh boy, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, listen to this, in things that have to do with the flesh. God, give me this thing. I need this thing. I want this thing. Matter of fact, I, I won't even ask you. I don't need to ask you. I know what I need. I'm just going to go do it. And I'm going to have a plan to back it up. And then I'm going to ask you to bless it. Wow. Hmm, let's see what it says. Wow. Mm -hmm. Hmm. No, no, that's right. To be a a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to who? God. Oh, do I know the difference? Do I know the difference? Do I think I have any rights in the flesh? Are there any rights in the flesh? Okay, does a dead man have a right to live? No. That's why the love of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14 constrains us. Because we thus judge, if one died, then all were dead. Then all were dead. Right? And because all were dead spiritually, right? No one's going to be extinct. They're all going to live somewhere forever. (laughs) Thank God we have eternal life in us. And that, listen, that's where we're headed. And that's what time is training us for. Not to live here. Our life is not this earth and the things that we can get from it. Our life is Christ himself in Colossians 3, verse 4. It's crystal clear. No wonder it says, be content with such things as you have. Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There, that's Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. When I'm not content, you know what I need? I need more. And you know where we're going to go get the more from? The things of the world. Those are the most dangerous for young people. The things of this world. Love not the world, the evil satanic system. I don't know, but can the evil satanic system, can the evil satanic system use the things that God means for good and use them for evil when we submit to them outside the will of God? You think so? <sighs> yeah. A faithful high priest and things pertaining to God. Listen, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now, we have that. But if I'm going to be reconciled 
in my experience, because I am in my position, but if I'm going to be in my experience, do I need to be taught what obedience is in those areas where I function in disobedience and not obedience? Is that necessary? Well, to experience that I am truly reconciled, won't that have to be some form of obedience? Because even confession is what? It's obedience. Stop doing it. Stop living in it. Huh, broken record. Everything's about me. Yeah. You know the receivers? Those that never give? The receivers? Oh, so interesting. Everything's about me. <laughs> For the sins of the people. For he, for in that he himself suffered being what? Was he ever tempted like you and me? No. Tested. I'm going to show you what that means. He is able to succor. Draw them to him that are tempted. And I'm going to show you what that means. And here's what it means in Hebrews 4. Here's Hebrews 4. Verse 9. There remains, therefore, a rest, a rest to the people of God. How are we of God? We're in Christ, right? It's the only way we are, positionally. Is that my experience? That everything about me is of God and not my flesh and not the self-life. Everything about me, right? There remains a rest. Know what it says? You know, know what it says here? It's the keeping of Sabbath. It's a continual rest. It's continually experiencing who we are through the will submitted in obedience in every area. Because one little sin does what to the whole lump? A little leaven does what? What does it do? It affects the whole lump. One area of disobedience, does that affect my fellowship with God? Can God fellowship with sin? When I'm living in it, I can't. Is it necessary then, without any condemnation, but the conviction of love to know the difference between what obedience is and disobedience? And then what do we do with it? Well, we confess it. 1 John 1, 9. And continue with our free will to experience the freedom about who Christ is in us and who we are in him. And then we have what? When I rest, I experience what? Peace. Ephesians 2, 14. So I have a Sabbath. There remains a continual Sabbath rest of the people of God. It's going back to Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2 in type, teaching that. For he that has entered into his rest, what does it mean to enter into his rest? Well, are all things by him and for him? So I can determine that apart from him? Or should I see him who determines what proper desire is and will never leave me insatiable or in bondage to lusts, right? For he that has entered into his rest, that's finished everything about me, right? He has also ceased from his own works. What would my own works be based upon? Fleshly works, right? Now in Romans, the eighth chapter, look at verses four through eight. Fleshly works. What are those? Well, I, I have these desires and I'm going to meet them. B 
because after all, it's me first. <laughs> Those are the receivers, me first. Everything's about me first. Me first. <sighs> I love what a certain individual said. The joy that they experienced by just giving themselves to God. That was so awesome to hear that. They just gave themselves. They just give themselves. And in doing so, I don't know, I, you know, if you give yourself to him who's free and above all, what do you experience? No bondage there. No selfishness there. Right? Well, for he that entered into his rest, he is also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, strive continually, therefore, to enter into that rest. What is a labor? Well, this, is there going to be a struggle? Is there a conflict that we're in? What's the conflict? What does Satan want us to do as believers? Live where? In Christ or where? In the flesh. That's the laboring part. Not that we do anything, you know. But we need to live in self-judgment of the flesh because it is judged. But it's not who we are, right? In Romans 8, 9. We need to know who we truly are. And that who we are is who we are in Christ individually, by the way. Let us therefore, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the example of what? What does it say there? Uh, you know what the Greek word is? Disobedience. That's what it says. Check it out. Disobedience. I don't feel like it. And because I'm going by me, <laughs> I'm free to do that. Yeah, I know. You got just enough counsel to counsel yourself and maybe someone else. Yeah, it's okay. All right. For the word of God is living. It's a life-giving force. So who I am in my position. You want life in your experience? Well, then what do you have to do? Oh, submit your will. And what? How do we do that? And obeying. <laughs> right? And, that, and because and when we do, it's what? It's powerful. Do you see where it says powerful there? That's going back to here. Here we go. Look. Here we go. That's going back to what? Hebrews 2, verse 14. He destroyed the power of him who had power over us to keep us separated in our experience through all these fleshly passions and desires and accumulation of things to make us about as comfortable as we can be. There was a lot of teaching on that in the 60s and 70s. Let me tell you about it. God gave us a blessing. <laughs> all material stuff. Seriously. It's powerful. It has the power, and it has the power to separate fleshly living, carnal living, feelings. I don't feel like it. It's pointed, by the way, and it's pointed on purpose. <laughs> There's a purpose in it. Don't go by. Look, it don't go by your emotions. Take it from someone who's been around a lot longer than you. Don't bother. It's such a waste of time. Such a waste of time. 
powerful and what? Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. Ooh, is the word piercing this morning? Am I doing the piercing? Am I doing the piercing? No. Nope. And we can have it. When we don't know areas, when we live in ignorance or rebellion and stubbornness, by the way, remember, rebellion in a believer living in the flesh is what? Witchcraft. And stubbornness is idolatry. I have a right to do what I want based upon how I feel. And if I have bad thoughts, that's between me and God. No, it's not. You're not thinking with God. You're lonely. You're not alone with him. Can you imagine a Christian, a born-again Christian, us, with the truth that God's given us, and we stop it all of a sudden, we go out, get a squirrel, come in here, put some brick, maybe we could do it over here on the brick, right? And sit around it and sacrifice to that. Right? We wouldn't, would you do that? Would you take part in that? Stubbornness is as idolatry. That's 1 Samuel 15, 23. 22 says, says that we can come and think we're offering. You know, some people think, wow, <laughs> show up. And that's that's their offering. That's great. <laughs> but you can do that and still have rebellion and stubbornness in you and think you're given a gift. Are you? Is that a gift that he'll receive? One area of disobedience. No wonder a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the individual, then they bring that into the corporate, the local assembly. Pooh, boy. Conduct behavior is so huge. Truly is. Boy, what would all our plans be if we had that dividing thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> Ah, we wouldn't do that. I wouldn't even want to do that to one of the little squirrels. Much as I don't like them, but there's no way I'd do that. Right? Well, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know what it does? It pierces. It pierces. Even to the dividing in, in two of soul, self-conscious, fleshly living, and spirit. God constantly. And, and, and this goes into even the sacrifice. Why does it say of the joints and the marrow and all that? Because let me tell you, in type, when you look at those sacrifices, in those first seven chapters of Leviticus, it was to be cut up. Every piece was open to God in Christ, in his humanity. Everything. And then he was burnt. And he was reduced to ashes. But boy, out of the beauty of those ashes, he's beautified us. He just has to reduce what, what in us, the ashes that are of no value that are in us, in the flesh. No question about it. Because from dust, you were created, Genesis 2, 7, dust, little ashes, you're going to be reduced down to what? I don't know, what's our body made up of, our physical bodies? Take biology, you'll get it. As, as far as science can go, apart from the Bible, <laughs> don't go too far with it because they'll take you, you know, completely away from God. And that's why we teach, like the Bible teaches, science doesn't prove the Bible. The Bible is the proof of proper science. 
because you don't have one without the other. Of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of how, I mean, it's so precise in our behavior, in our conduct. It's so precise. Yeah. Right? And he does that because he's against us. No, he's for us. Okay. Neither is there any created being that is not manifest in his sight. You know, he never removes his eye in Job 36, verse 7, from the righteous. No wonder we should look away from all that would distract. What would distract the Christian? What would the enemy use to distract the Christian? Self-occupation, self-plans, self-preservation. You know, Peter followed him afar off on a hill, you know. And everyone can say what they want. He was the only one. <laughs> but still, there was a distance. In Matthew 26, 58, it was called the hill. He followed them afar off on a hill. You know what the hill was? Self-preservation. I can't, I can't, can only go so far, God. I can't go as that far. Because I, I got this for me. This is for me. I don't know, I think we just said all things were created by him and for him. What are we keeping that's not his? And what is keeping us from him that's not of him? Hmm. The thrill. <laughs> the thrill. Oh, the thrill. <laughs> Let's do this because we'll get a thrill. <laughs> An emotional thrill. Oh, boy. Don't be led by that. A lot of danger in that. A lot, of, a lot of ignorance in us, too. We are ignorant, all of us. We are sheep. We are ignorant. There's only one who, who walked ahead for us and knows his perfect plan for each of us. No wonder it says, walk in his steps in 1 Peter 2.21. He counts all our steps in Job 31, verse 4. <laughs> you know, the steps of a man who's been graced out by God are ordered and ordained of the Lord in Psalm 37.23. You know what that speaks of? It speaks of a ready mind. I wrote some things down this morning, again on a blotter, as God gave them to me, and I just started writing them down and correlating them. And so beautifully is the Holy Spirit, my teacher, taking the things of Christ, my Lord and Savior, and what he's accomplished, and just started writing them down. You know what we, you know, we make time in our mind through thoughts, either about ourselves or Christ. And we submit to one or the other. That's what we do. We submit. Right? That even goes into discipline, preparation, and humility. So that we're in a place where God, who's waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30, verse 18, can give us the grace that we need that would cause us to submit to him and to him alone. But you know why we don't? Because we refuse the grace that would give us the known obedience to do it to, and we don't do it. It's a broken record. Just a broken record. We hear, I've heard that enough. Yeah, like we can hear things enough, like we arrive to them, finally. <laughs> well, neither is there any created being that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You know what this might be going back to? Hey, Adam, where are you? You're not in the place where you should be to receive from me. You, you went on your own. 
And as a result, you covered yourself. Think of the things that the enemy will use to keep us covered and in bondage to the flesh. That's going to make you happy. That's going to bring you joy. Yeah. I don't feel like doing it. Yeah, there's a lot of joy there, huh? Oh, good. Thanks for not showing up anyway. Love you, but we need to make the adjustments, don't we? Then they heard the voice of God. Word of God in his pre-incarnate state in Genesis 3.8. They heard the voice of God, and what was he doing? He was walking in the garden. What was he doing? And they heard the voice, and you know what they did? What did they do? They hit themselves. You know, when we don't want God, we go by the emotions. When we go by that little, those little sins, we give in to sin. And not, What do we want to do? We hide. Oh, you poor thing, you. <laughs> we hide. Oh, you wouldn't believe how we can hide. In things. In people. In Christians and call it fellowship. When we can hide. And, you know, they covered themselves. And, they, and he said, huh, why did you hide? Well, I was naked, and I heard your voice. I was afraid because I was naked. And yet they covered themselves. How'd that work? Did it work? Didn't work, did it? Didn't work. Right? No. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do it. You know what Jesus did in his pre-incarnate state? You know what he did? He took off the works, the fleshly coverings that don't do anything, and he covered them with the skins of an animal. That was pointing to the cross and what he was going to accomplish. What you and I have the privilege to do continually in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verses 20 to 23. Put off the old. No, I'm going to obey it. I still like this. I still like this thrill. No, I'm not going to put it up just yet. Not yet. I haven't had enough yet. I haven't got to the place of extreme bondage and helplessness and hopelessness to the point where I finally have to cry out, who's going to deliver me from the body of this sin and death? In Romans 7.24, and experientially, finally when it comes, he does the separating in Hebrews 4.12. Oh, it's God, it's Christ. And there he was waiting just like the father was for the prodigal to come back. Covered with the accomplishment of what only he could cover himself with, filthy rags in Isaiah 64, verse 6. Check that one out in the original and offer that one up. It's my right. Sure, right to offer filthy rags to him in disobedience? Huh, God forbid, Lord, ooh, no. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then, what are we to see? That we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our what? What is it? It's confession. So if you see profession there in any translation, you cross it out. It's called confession. A profession is declarative but not experiential. I can confess it. I can profess it all day. I can profess all day I love God and live in disobedience. And say I love him. Well, 1 John 3, 18, stop loving in word or in tongue. How about deed and in truth? <laughs> I don't know. Who has all the riches? You tell me. 
Who has all the riches? Who, who's, who's gold and silver, is it? Read Haggai 2, verse 8. All, listen to that. All the gold and silver is whose? Tis. No, that's just for me. Okay. All the cattle on a thousand hills are his. That spelled, spoke of wealth in Psalm 50, verse 10. Whose are they? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when the will's not involved, boy, it's a lot of problems. A lot of problems, you know? I see these guys. I see them on the, on whatever you want to call that, the internet. I see them. I see what they're occupied with. You know what? And I'm going to tell you something. If it's not God leading you to use for his glory, here's the problem. I'm going to show you the problem. Here's the problem. This is 1 Timothy 6, 8. And having food and raiment, let us therewith to be content. Look, but they that will be rich <laughs> fall into what? No, the enemy wouldn't do that, would he? He wouldn't give you riches and get you occupied so you can fall into what? Temptation. And living, when I'm in, living in temptation, when I give into it, what am I giving into? The slavery of bondage to him. And it never satisfies. They, they fall into temptation and a snare. Who sets the snare? It's Proverbs 29, 25. A snare. It's like a little trap and you get caught. And into many foolish. Why is it foolish? Because they use those riches to make themselves to be the source of their contentment. Foolish and hurtful what? Lust. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love, the inaffectionate, the, the, just, the strange, weird, affection, affectionate love of money is the root of all evil. I know a man. I'm going to close it because we're, we're going to have to get into it in a different way. I know a man. And I'm not going to tell you his name. This man was a missionary. He's a great friend of mine. Dear friend of mine. Dear friend. I'm going to tell you, listen. He was going at the time to Brown's University, okay, in Rhode Island. You don't go there unless you've got a lot of brain cells working, okay? Brilliant guy. Good-looking guy, big. I mean, everything you'd want. Like for a woman in the natural and not seeking God and not letting God do the choosing. Man, that guy, he had shoulders like this. He, had, he was this tall, blonde hair, man. Brilliant. God got a hold of him. And you know what? He went to India to be a missionary. And a certain, certain number of different things came back. He had a wife. And she had something. Uh, to be removed on a breast, they thought it could have been malignant. So she went back to the States and there got in a relationship and left him. And that crushed him. And he came back. And we sat at this breakfast place in Baltimore. This guy, successful, big, strong guy, sat there. I sat there with him. And we were at, what's that breakfast place? Doesn't matter. It's a chain breakfast place crowded and he sat there and he wailed audibly for hours 
and he didn't care who was seeing him. I mean, it's just, just, it just, he just wept. It just wept like a baby. It so affected him. He got into another relationship with a woman to try and replace her, honestly, and got another beautiful woman who lived right on, uh, right off of Campbell Street at the time. Married her. They left. He went to Babson Business College. He was the valedictorian. The men on Wall Street in New York came, heard him speak, hired him on the spot. Hired him on the spot. Okay? Went, and these, these Indian guys, the previous, that he had won to the Lord, that still loved him, even though he was totally removed from God, and everything about him was, you know, I mean, he was making, in a few short years, he was a multi, multi-millionaire, just brilliant guy. Gifts. And a gift for business, like you wouldn't believe, just brilliant. And then this Indian guy, and I remember him, I ministered with him, and he came to a lot of the times we had the, had the word as a local assembly where two or three got together, and we had fellowship. That's why we teach it's, it's you know, we don't go to church, we are the church, okay? We can study on our own, but we, we come together, we're receiving the word as a local assembly. There's a big difference, by the way, a massive difference. That's what we're doing here. He went and met him. He said, he took me out to breakfast to this place. You know, the, bre- the breakfast was like over 200 bucks. He just shouted things out. And he, and he just asked him. He just happened to ask. He's only gone a few years. He asked him, what do you have for wealth? He said, well, I feel pretty comfortable, but I need more. But I, I have $11 million in my bank account. I'm serious. I'm serious about what I'm saying. Very serious. Had eleven million in his bank account, and he asked, and he divorced his second wife because when he was going to Babson, he's such a good-looking guy. All the women were hitting on him, and because he didn't want to cheat on his wife, and his wife was okay with that, they divorced each other. Friendly. You know, money, women, drugs, alcohol. Yeah. Funny how they kind of like go together. You get one of those passions lit in you, guess what? You think you can handle those and you think I can handle those temptations? You want to make a bet? Can't. Do it. That's why in Acts twenty thirty five, it's much more blessed to give than to receive. Far more blessing in it. Right? Right? You've been experiencing the joy in that, haven't you? Yeah. Fact of the matter is, that guy met him, and he said, so, so what are you doing in your life? What's going on in your life right now? What about God? He goes, he's God is my judge. This guy was a pastor, gifted over in India. He said, well, this is his response to him. Well, I think I'm still a believer. I think I'm still a believer. I believe he, he was and he is. I believe he was and he is. But what, even those hurts, when they're not given to God and God alone, you're going to try and use somebody else 
or some other thing to take care of it. And that's what he did. And boy, listen, don't you think the enemy won't give you millions as the God of this world just to destroy you, get you going after money. I see it on, I see the guys. Oh, yeah. But what do you like about it? Tell me what you like about it. I don't know. And a local assembly, has God given you the finances to build up Christ and to build up the local assembly? Are you going to use them for others or for yourself? I don't know. Because where your treasure is there, your heart's going to be. In Matthew 6, verse 21. And if Christ is not your treasure, and he's the treasure within, you leave him, you're going to make something else your treasure. And your whole schedule is going to be planned around it, too. I can't do I can't be obedient in this area because I need this for me in this area. I love that song, you know. Give me Jesus. Yeah. You can have all this world. You can have it. That's passing away, by the way. You know how the you know how the world operates in the believer? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Proud. Take care of the outside. Miss the inside. Oh, who's on the inside? I don't know. Is the treasure there? Is that the true treasure? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Colossians 2, verse 3. Mm -hmm. But they're hidden. True treasure is hidden from the world. Boy, I hope to God in my life it's not. You know, time is very valuable. It is. Very, very valuable. And he loves us. And I'm telling you, God is jealous over us. He wants us all to himself. And no one, listen, no one can bless perfectly and righteously and glorifyingly and blessingly like God. That's why we need to submit to him. Because he will bless us in the right way. Apart from the flesh, through the treasure that his son is in each of us individually. So Lord, thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.